just anything unmarked, whatever, goes to that over there. But put on your envelope, legacy project, if you want it to go upstairs to build the children's church, define it for us, okay? So we'll know exactly where to put your money. And that will help us out tremendously. Jeremiah 18, verse 3. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel. It seemed good to the potter to make it. Do you know God has a will for your life? He has a design for your life. And he understands exactly what that looks like, exactly how to mold and shape your personality and your will if we'll just be willing to be put on the potter's will. Amen, Drew. That's good. One of the things I notice as I'm getting older is nobody asks me anymore, what do you want to be when you grow up? I guess they figure I'm growing up. I don't know. When you get on in years, people judge you on what you've actually achieved, not on what you want to do in the future. There's a lot of things at 53 years old I still want to do in the future. But nobody asks me, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do, Drew, when you grow up? Believe me, I'm still, I, I say 18 years old in my mind. Shelly says 12, but I still think like a young man. Kids and young people, on the other hand, they're, they're asked what they want to be when they grow up. Devin, Reed, I see some of the kids in Jackson's in here. Logan's over here. We, we've got some kids in here. They ask them that question, what do you want to be when you grow up? A fireman, a doctor, a pastor. We had the oddball in our house. We, I want to be a preacher. The great thing about being young is that there's so many options and so much potential with your life. When, when Brother Tony Burrow was pastoring, he told me, he said, Drew, he said, I'm running out of years. I'm running out of years to do what God wants in my life. He said, there's some promises that God's given me and I'm running out of years. I've been thinking about that a lot. We're all running out of years. We're running out of time to fulfill what God's called us to do. There's promises he's given us. You know what? He's faithful. He's going to perform them things. If we'll stay faithful to him, keep expecting him to do them things, he's going to fulfill them things. But we're running out of time. If we have something great and we have a dream to do it, I seen something the other day said, um, I'm not going to say. Anyway, it's funny, but it, it, I'm, I'm not, not in that vein today really. If we have a dream of doing something great or something really significant in our lives, we will not achieve it just by thinking about it. I can think about it all day. I will put this in here. I can think about going on a diet all day long. I do fast every night while I'm sleeping, but a regular diet. I can think about it all I want, but until I actually take them steps... Thinking about it is just not going to help. That just makes me feel guilty. I don't want to feel guilty, so I just won't think about it. I heard this week about someone that needs some money, but they won't get up and go get a job. You can think about that all day long. I need some money. I need some money. I'm broke. I need some money. Get up and get a job. 
Get up and get, do something about your situation. It's not just going to happen. Destiny is something often spoke about in hushed tones. The concepts like karma try to tell us that destiny is something that the universe inflicts upon you. How many knows that karma is a bunch of hogwash? You know what? It's stealing, it's stealing from the scriptures, doing unto others as you'd have them do unto you. They call it paying forward. We're going to do something good, so we come back. They're stealing it off the Bible. Just, that's just for free. That's not in my notes. I just wanted you to know that. But the Bible is quite different than what the universe and karma is teaching. It teaches us that destiny is not something external inflicted upon you, but rather it is the result of a series of choices. We have choices we make every day, how we're going to live our life, how we're going to spend our time, if we're going to be obedient to God, if we're going to do our own will. And that's basically what it boils down to. Sometimes we're forced into choices that we really didn't want to make. I understand that. But most of the time, we're making choices on our own. we got to be careful with our choices. Deuteronomy 30 and 19 said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. That's a simple scripture. It's just telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it before you. I'm letting you know heaven and earth. I'm, I'm letting you know. Let's record this this day. That I'm putting before you life and death. Well, you think, well, that's an easy choice. I'll, I'll take life. So many people don't. Instead, they take pleasure that's leading to death. They take pride that's leading to destruction. To every choice we make, there are consequences, either good or bad. And the tricky thing is that sometimes these consequences take a while to manifest themselves. I can speed up and down Highway 65 and go break the speed limit. The consequences will eventually catch up with me. The blue light in my mirror. So I speed and I duck behind the church. I do no, that's what the students do. I'm just I've seen that happen a few times at our church. Students come flying in the parking lot. Like, what are you doing? I say, oh, police officer, go by. I know what you're doing. There's consequences, and a lot of times they don't manifest themselves just immediately, but the consequences will be there. We made decisions last year, last month, last week. It's going to have an effect on your life and your family's life. God says to choose life. And it says that you and your seed or your descendants will reap the fruit. But when you're young, you have an infinite range of choices before you. Your whole life's ahead of you. It doesn't matter what kind of choice I'm making right now. I'm 14 years old. It don't matter. I'm 26 years old. It don't matter. I can fix anything. I, you're making choices right now that has to do with life and death, blessings and cursings. And you know what? You're making choices right now, too, that's affecting your children. You've already made, 
You've already made decisions that are affecting your children. Many of you have a dream of what you would like to become in your life, like everyone else, whether your dream comes true or not. About your family, a family you're from, it doesn't matter. A lot of people say, well, I, I, my dreams didn't come true because I come from the wrong side of the tracks. It doesn't matter the upbringing you have or about the money your mom or dad did or did not make. It's about your choices. It's about your choices. I've never seen a time ever in 53 years that no one wants to take responsibilities for their choices. They make bad choices, and they don't, it, it, that wasn't my fault. It was this one's fault. It was that one's fault. They, they made me do it. This one made me do it. I'm looking for people to stand up and say, you know what? I messed up, but I know where I can go to. I can go back to God, and he, he can help me with these bad choices. When you ask a child what they want to be when they grow up, I don't know of any kids whose greatest desire in life is to become a drug addict. Little Johnny, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be an alcoholic. That's not coming from a kid. I don't hear any of them say, you know what, I'd like to be a prostitute when I grow up. Alcoholic. You know what, I'd like to be homeless when I grow up. No. Yes, some do these things. We ask ourselves why. It all comes down to the choices. Amen. Don't get me wrong. Your mom and dad are the greatest influence over their children. Absolutely. Absolutely. But still yet, even if you wasn't raised in a godly parent, with godly parents in a godly home, you still have choices to make. The spirit of the Holy Ghost will deal with you right and wrong decisions. I see we have teenagers. The Holy Ghost will deal with you in right and wrong decisions. You have a choice to make. You're all of, of accountability age up there. You're going to answer to God for yourself. You died today, walked out this door and died. You'll stand be before God and give an account by yourself. Mom and dad won't be there. Grandma and grandpa won't be there. We're making choices today that we're going to have to answer for. I'll move on. The making of a masterpiece. That's what I want to talk about right here. When I was a kid, I loved playing with Play-Doh. Years later, when the boys were little, I loved playing with Play-Doh again. And since we spread them out, 26, 21, and 10-year-old, I, I continued to like Play-Doh and love play, playing with Play-Doh. How many be honest and say... Yes, Pastor, I confess, I tasted Play-Doh. Anybody? We got some honest people right over here. I'm making them hungry right now just talking about it. If my memory serves me, Play-Doh is real salty. Real salty. Dad, you would like that. He loves salt. I'm fixing a big plate of Play-Doh today. But I only tasted the red and the yellow and the blue and the white. I'm not sure they had any more of them colors. And then when I got old enough, I had my own kids. I didn't taste it with them. So they had some other colors. I, I just throw an interesting fact about Play-Doh. Play-Doh originally was made in white only. And it, because they burned coal in their house, 
It was made as a substance, as a tool to put it on your walls and roll it around on your, your walls and ceiling to get the soot out of your house. That's what Play-Doh was made for. It's made with salt, flour, and water, and a coloring. So it's safe to eat. I just had to say it's safe. It's just kind of gross, but it is safe to eat. But that Play-Doh, after they stopped burning the coal, they, they needed to find someone, some other use for it. And some in-laws from the, from the two that created Play-Doh took it to school. She was a school teacher and started making shapes and stuff at school and seeing it went over big. I'm just full of knowledge right here on Play-Doh. So next thing you know, they made a deal. The Play-Doh company made a deal. It still wasn't selling good. They didn't have a use for it. They made a deal with Captain Kangaroo. I mean, remember that show? Captain Kangaroo. If he would show that on his show, and he did over and over and over, and it took off, and it is what it is today. It just continued to grow from, from that. Captain Kangaroo got 2% of the profits from that, by the way. Wow. I'm guessing his family's still receiving residuals. Anyway, but there's something real cool about that squishy goo, goo we call Play-Doh. Making something that has a purpose, like a dog or a bird or a car. And after you get done making the dog, you can bite its head off and taste him. And that's the way it goes. If something goes wrong with your creation, though, all you got to do is take that Play-Doh, just squish it together, start working it again, remold, recreate whatever you want it to be. It could be something totally different this time. Be a cat instead of a dog. Usually I tried to build something and whatever I got done with that, okay, it looks like a horse, but that, that's fine. That's what it is. I'm not an artist by any stretch. In some ways, I believe God looks at us like that, especially when we're young. He can take us as an unformed, slightly gooey mess and make us into a masterpiece by shaping us, by molding us. Back in the Bible days, they didn't have Play-Doh. But they did have something more descriptive than what God wants from our lives. And here, here's what it is. Isaiah 64 and 8. But now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay. And thou art potter. And we all are the work of thy hand. Can you imagine God just sitting with clay and molding it? That puts things in perspective. I know you're thinking, well, you're strange. Play-Doh. It puts it in perspective. I would sit for hours and sit and mold and try to make it look like. That's what God does with us. He's molding us, shaping us. If we're, the, if we're like clay in the hands of an expert potter, then he can make us into anything he wants us to be. And just a side note, God never mends what man mars. He creates something new amen god sees our potential that's why jeremiah 29 11 says for i know the thoughts that i think towards you saith the lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end when god looks at you he doesn't see you the way you see yourself we look in the mirror we see all the flaws matter of fact most of them we try to hide our flaws put on makeup Comb our hair to a certain side to cover up the bald spot. Wear black so you look thinner. (laughs) 
wear platform shoes, you look taller. I'm just saying, that's the way we do it. When we look at ourselves, and at others for that matter, we see the raw, flawed materials. We see the imperfections, the oddly shaped, the flawed personalities. We look at each other, or when we stand in front of the mirror, the person looking back seems to be far from perfect and far from worthy and nowhere near greatness. We're all born as sinners. And some of us, through our lives, have sinned more than others. But all of us, make no mistake, we're born into sin. Can you remember the Bible verse in Romans 3.23? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5 and 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Being human and being born, you were born into sin. That's the way that works. That man it's talking about is Adam, the Garden of Eden. Through one man, sin entered the world. But God, when he looks at us, looks through the muck and the mire, the imperfections and the sin, and he sees the great things that we can become. He understands what his purpose is for us. He understands what the future holds for us. He understands how he can mold us and make us if we'll just stay on his potter's wheel. He looks at the piece of dirt, and he sees a pot or a vase. Or Voss, if you're fancy. Maybe you're a plate. He has plans for each one of our lives. Plans to prosper us. Plans to give us a wonderful future. A hope and a destiny. Amen. You're not a mistake. So many has been raised and told you were an accident. You were a mistake. Can I tell you, you're not a mistake. You are not a mistake. You are not a failure. And when you're a child, it is easier to believe that God has big plans and that he has hopes for you in the future. But as we get older, we think, you know what? Life starts rubbing on us. Life starts happening to us. You think, Am I ever going to achieve what God put in my heart? Am I ever going to achieve what the Word of God says about me? All of us start in the womb with unlimited potential. Look what David wrote in Psalms 139.14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. And that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Hallelujah. You were created by an almighty creator. Amen. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. He sees what we cannot see. He knows what we're just hoping for. He knows what we'll, we will never know unless we stay on the potter's wheel. Today, even if you feel worthless and overlooked, feel like a mistake or you 
feel like a failure, God sees the potential in you. He understands exactly what he's created you to be. He focuses on his desires for you to create something beautiful out of your life. God uses, though, who we are. He did give us personalities. He did give us traits. What raw materials does God find to create his masterpiece? Well, clay is what the word of God said. Clay is found in the earth. We know how Adam was created from the dust of the earth. But guess what? It's full of trash and blemishes. It needs a lot of work before it can be molded into something wonderful. Let me describe what clay is and when it's found. We, we see red clay in Missouri and Arkansas quite often. Let me, let me explain a little bit to you. Clay is, uh, as it is, found in the ground, is not suitable for use to make a pot. It is dug out of the ground and brought to the outside of the pottery and allowed to weather for weeks. The dry material is then dumped into a cement line tank or wooden trough and covered with water. When the lumps have softened, they are stirred in the water until all have disintegrated. And a thin slimy mud or slip is what it's called has been formed. Seawater is more effective for this process, so potteries are often close to the ocean. The slip is drawn off into settling tanks. All stones and lumps are left behind. When the clay has settled, the water is drawn off, and the plastic-like material is worked by treading with feet. How many of you ever had mud between their toes? The prepared clay is finally packed away and allowed to stand another six months before being used. The fact is, all of us have lumps and impurities. Guess why? Because all of us have sinned. All of us have sinned. Romans 3 and 10, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Every single one of us have dirt and mud and stones and are less than perfect, but God is able to take imperfect people, imperfected people. He's able to take us, just like you and me here today. We're not perfect. We may look like it. We may dress like it. We may fix our hair. We may do all the things to try to make us look right. We're still not perfect. You might have sin. Past failures, a bad upbringing, previous abuse or physical challenge you face. But God sees through that stuff to what you can be, what you could be. And like the clay, he may put you through the process that sometimes is difficult and painful. But in the end, he transforms our lives into the material he can use to make great. All because he loves us. He loves us. God uses the right instruments. I'm going to hurry. To complete this process, God is equipped with all the right tools. He knows what he's doing because reshaping, reforming our life needs a professional, not an amateur. So what does he use? I put in the shovel. To extract good clay from your life, God may have to do a little bit of digging on you and in you. He will dig out the rocks and the pebbles 
that must be extracted in order to create material he can use. When we sin, we usually feel so ashamed that we try to cover it up. We try to cover it over. Just as Adam and Eve covered themselves with fig leaves because they recognized their sin. In our shame, we cover our sin, hoping no one finds out. But the problem is that sin then festers under the surface and produces toxins and poisons in our life. Psalms 38 and 18, for I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. We need to be quick to confess our sins before the Lord, quick to come back to the potter and have him work on us. We need to recognize that the only way to remove sin and impurities from our life is to fess up. Not to me. I'm not your, your fessing up guy. He is. He is. Face the sin and deal with it. Sin causes pain. And unless you deal with it, it will continue to cause pain in increasing amounts. God loves us so much that his son died for our sin. Jesus came and took the penalty for our sin, not because we deserve mercy, but because of his love and his grace. Hallelujah. He gives us mercy. Jesus loves us so much he died for us. But he also loves us so much he didn't want to leave us in that sin. It's the gift of life. Choose life or death. Blessings or cursings. He wants to extract the sin and pain and purify our lives. We try to cover up sin, but God says us today, don't cover your sin. Confess it. Confess it to God. He says, confess it to me and I'll cover it up. My grace, my forgiveness. The next tool, this is my own thing. I didn't find this in the Bible. I'll just tell you, I didn't find it where God said, I'm going to take the shovel and dig you out. This, this is Drew's sermon today. What I feel like God does to me sometimes, is it, it hurts, it's painful, and he's digging on me. The next thing is, he uses the mallet. How many has ever seen the Bugs Bunny where he's serving coffee or tea to the character, and he said, how many of your lumps do you want? He goes, oh, two or three, and he goes, ding, 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 beats him on the head with the mallet. The next process in refining the clay needs... The, the refining clay needs a mallet. Once it's dug out, it needs to be pounded. When I was a kid, I'd tell my brother, I'm going to pound you into the ground. I'm going to pulverize you. I'm going to pound on you. How many of you adults know there are times when life seems to pound on us? It does. It's one thing after another. You're like, God, Really? You said the righteous wouldn't be forsaken. I feel forsaken. Not only that, they're beating on me. They got the mallets out. They got the whole croquet set up beating on me with it. Things go wrong. Our decisions may have had bad consequences. People let us down. You feel like you're just being pounded on, on all sides. Listen to what Paul said. 2 Corinthians 4 and 16. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Hallelujah. For our light afflictions. How many ever had a light affliction? If I get a splinter, that's a major thing. I don't get light afflictions. They're big afflictions. Paul says, for our light afflictions, which is but for a moment, it is. I've actually said ouch to things that didn't hurt because I expected them to hurt. Pick up something I think, oh, that's not hot. You're all laughing, but you did the same thing. 
but only hurts for a moment. Worketh, let me go back, for our light afflictions, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We got to look beyond our vision. We've been preaching 2020 vision the whole month of January. We got to look with our uh, eyes looking towards God and look towards the eternal. I know pounding hurts. I know some of you are hurt and discouraged today. But please do yourself a favor. Take your eyes off the hurt. Take your eyes off the pain. Set them on Jesus. Jesus loves you. He died for you. If we'll do that, we'll begin to see the reasons for the pounding. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty is what they say is because then you could see why you were pounded on over them all of them times. You're like, what in the world's going on? And you start realizing what God was preparing you for. He's reshaping. He was remolding. He dug some things out. Then he got his mouth, went to pounding on you. And then the wheel. I got three minutes. The potter uses the potter's wheel. And the clay is placed on the wheel and spun. The instrument consists of two wheels made of stone connected by a shaft. The potter spins the lower wheel with his feet and the upper wheel spins with it. And then he is able to mold and shape the spinning clay. Sometimes we feel like we're spinning round and round. How many has ever felt that way? I, I know I have. And I've never thought of it this way until I've seen it yesterday. I believe God showed it to me. Sometimes it just seems like you're going in circles. You're like, what? Again? 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 We're doing this over and over again? You ever thought he may just have you on that wheel and you are going round and round and round again? Maybe it's because you're resisting him reshaping you. Maybe it's because you're, you've got a marred spot and he's trying to fix it. And you're like, no, no, no. He just keeps spinning. It's like, I just keep spinning you. Something to think about. We use a lot of energy and we get nowhere fast. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God. Do you love God today? Amen. You love God? To them who are called according to his purpose. Each and every one of you, if you're called, if you're a Christian, you are called to his purpose. You think, well, I don't have a calling. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a worship leader. I'm, I'm not an usher. I'm not this. God has called you into ministry in some way. He has called you to do a work for him. As we spend around and around, God uses all things, even the bad things, and reshapes and remolds our lives. And if we don't learn the lesson, we get to go around and around again and again. My advice is to learn what God wants you to learn early and move on from that test. Amen. We know that when you're young, we think that we have our whole life ahead of us. But when we're an adult, we look back on our life and realize we've made plenty of mistakes, wrong decisions, wrong choices, wrong relationships. And how many of you know the biblical principles of reaping and sowing apply to bad choices just as much as they do to good choices? You're going to reap what you sow. You're going to reap what you sow. Shelly, would you come back to the piano? You're going to reap what you sow. And you think, well, I'm going to give tithe. I'm going to give offering. I'm going to be blessed. And you are. It's the word of God. He tells it. Oh, we got to have an amen on that. Do we have any tithers in the room? Amen. That's right. 
God will bless. But you know what? There's some reaping we don't want to reap. We don't want to harvest the bad stuff. Unfortunately, it's a principle that's in the word of God. You're going to reap some things. Now, I'm going to be honest with you and stand here and tell you, I pray for crop failures a lot. God, you know what I did, but would you please just kill that crop? You know how hungry I was. God, would you kill that crop? My mom said, amen. There's decisions we made. I heard my dad tell a story one time about buying a van. He said it was the worst decision he ever made in his life. He said he, didn't, he bought it out of God's will. He reaped it. Unfortunately, I reaped some of his reaping too. It's the same, it was a, 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 like a, I forget what kind of van, it didn't have windows in it. And uh, it was a use for business or whatever. Me and Shelly went to see our niece in North Carolina. We get out in the parking lot and the thing wouldn't start, but it was a four speed. So I said, you get in and I'll push you around. I've told this story before. I pushed her from one side of that parking lot to the other, back and forth, uphill, downhill, every which way we could push it. And after I was completely wore out, she said, you want me to take off the emergency brake? That would help. That would help. That just tells you how strong I was. I just, that's a true story. But that van gave problems and problems. He reaped something. We don't like to talk about stuff like that. We don't like to talk about stuff like that. I've did things in my life, and then later on I reaped the same thing. I was like, God, why are you allowing this to happen? And he'll just bring my mind right back. Remember how you did this? We have to realize that we're going to reap the good and the bad. I'm going to try to finish this tonight.